Eclectic Spacewalk presents Conversations, a podcast about the uniqueness of the human condition and how, through conversation, we can continue to upgrade humanity's value systems. Everyone has a subjective, awe-inspiring viewpoint of our reality, and the goal of this podcast is to have conversations with unique humans. Eclectic Spacewalk means a broad and diverse range of Earth-based philosophies viewed from outer space. Send us any recommendations on who we should talk to next. But remember, we are not just a podcast. You can subscribe to our Substack newsletter and get first access to every podcast episode at eclecticspacewalk.substack.com. Connect with us on social media by following us on Twitter at eSpacewalk and the hashtag EclecticSpacewalk. Find us on Minds.com at EclecticSpacewalk. And as always, you can find everything on the website, EclecticSpacewalk.com. We want to talk with anyone over our shared humanity and best practices of life. Now, let's have a conversation. Hello, and welcome to Eclectic Spacewalk Conversations. I'm your host, Nicholas McKay. Today, we're joined by Paul Millard. Paul is a writer, coach, and consultant who I would describe as the epitome of a digital nomad. He is also a freelancer and digital creator. Paul is, quote, trying to carve his own path, sharing what he's learned along the way. And he recently released a new book called Pathless Path, Imagining a New Story for Work and Life. Welcome to Conversations, Paul. Uh, glad to be here, Nick. Thanks for joining us. Uh, so first off, first question, we'll get into a little bit of your introduction and background, but uh, where were you born? So I was born in Connecticut. Uh, the woodsy part of Connecticut. So kind of grew up small town, around a lot of family playing in the woods. Uh, yeah, it was pretty simple and uh, very sheltered. I, I never went to cities growing up. Uh, but yeah, it was that's where I grew up. Nice. And so um, you I uh, loved what you described, you described yourself as a self described curious human. And that kind of like had a lot of through line with me. So what were your kind of earliest influences specifically in kind of the realm of curiosity, books, people, you know, what kind of garnered your interest to be curious? Some pretty traditional interests. <laughs> As a kid, I think I loved basketball. I just wanted okay. to, I collected all the cards. I followed all the teams. I tried to learn all the stats. I was obsessed with just following everything. That was probably the biggest uh, thing I was curious about. I would say generally though, intellectually, I was not, um, the most curious person. I wasn't like reading books on my own. I read like goosebumps books. I'm sure you had those. Yeah, growing up of too. course. But, um, yeah, I, I wasn't doing a ton intellectually or academically outside of school. I was like good at school, but I was like good enough to like get by and not have to do a ton of, uh, effort on it. But, yeah, I think my curiosity really skyrocketed in college. I was around, I was okay. in the honors program um, in college at University of Connecticut and was just surrounded by all these curious people. And suddenly I think I was just like brought alive and like one, just like meeting people who have ambitious aims in their life and like are reading books, talking about ideas. It was like, oh, this is pretty cool. And I didn't really know I craved that or needed that. Oh, very interesting. So more, uh, a little bit later, once you kind of got your legs. Okay. That's interesting. So what, let's do a quick run through then of like 
undergrad biz, uh, business school. And then uh, I love in your book, and we'll, we'll get to it later, and uh, obviously, and talk a, a quite a bit about it. But uh, you, you, you said you were, you know, on, on the trajectory of being a world-class hoop jumper and, quote, uh, chasing prestige and trying to be part of what C.S. Lewis famously called the inner ring. So maybe like contextualize us, uh, you know, on that journey after, you know, not so curious start, but eventually you, you got around to being quite curious. Yeah. I, so that's a term by William Dreshowitz. He was a professor at Yale. I think he's since quit um, teaching at Ivy League school and just writes full time. But uh, he was just noticing that everyone was doing everything as part of a game, right? And nobody cared about what they learned as long as they got an A. Uh, nobody cared about what activities they were involved in as long as they were the right ones to get access to the jobs or the grad school. Um, and I, I think, have a very engineering-type mind. I figured out there was a game to play and started playing pretty quickly. Uh, I was good at it. I figured out how to get good grades. I figured out how to um, avoid bad grades, do the right activities, um, and play those games. I never was like full out, but I figured out how to like do it with uh, my approach to things. So, and then um, we'll we'll get kind of more into into that. But you had a, a bout with Lyme disease, and I wanted to kind of talk to you about that specifically because you had you had done a little bit of writing about that. What what was kind of something that you learned the most out of that? Was it about you know healthcare systems or? you know, uh, being an impervious young person and, you know, figuring out, you know, health is a real thing, or can you just talk about kind of that kind of journey and what you went through? Yeah. So I, part of my background after school, I went to work for GE, then I went to work in consulting and was like very lucky to break into the consulting industry and have all these opportunities, career options. I went to a top business school. I went to MIT. Um, graduating and uh, start this job, like making first six figures for the first time in my life, feeling like, oh my God, there's so much potential. Um, and then within the first month, I just start feeling terrible. Uh, I didn't really know what it was at the time. It took several months to work with doctors to kind of figure out what was going on, figure out what was going on, um, had declined in health. Uh, dramatically at that point and then started doing treatment and that was really rough um, that was just a really hard experience it was this disconnect between all of my life had been consumed with I am this successful student I am this achiever I'm this person that's always plotting the next step to boom like just in bed feeling like crap and had to take yeah. a leave of absence unpaid and so like, man, it, it was really painful, both physically of the literal things I was dealing with and emotionally. Um, and I kind of realized in that moment that uh, that story of like my successful identity, like I didn't, I wasn't all in on that. That wasn't who I was. And, mm. but I didn't know who I was. Right. It, it just kind of planted these seeds of, this isn't really all it's cracked up to be <laughs> sure. a lot of stories, a lot of smoke and mirrors, um, a lot of people that don't really know what they want, but just keep going on these paths and, uh, started to definitely feel a disconnect there. So the biggest thing really the, you know, 
it's not all it's cracked up to be, but then it's real, et cetera. Maybe we can go back a little bit and talk about, um, you, you, you mentioned your, you kind of going from MIT in a top business school, um, and getting into consulting. I mean, that was your stint at McKinsey, right? Is, is that, is that correct? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I worked at McKinsey before going to grad school. Okay. And that started senior year of college. I just wanted to desperately break into these prestigious career tracks. Sure. If anyone's going to like a top school, um, my school, University of Connecticut, is not seen as like one of these top schools. But um, I became aware of like all these tracks that companies hire from schools like Harvard, all these liberal arts schools, um, mm -hmm. even some of the big public schools like Virginia, Michigan, Georgia Tech. Um, consulting firms, investment banks, uh, private equity, big tech firms at the time. Um, as soon as I found out about that, like having practiced some of my hoop jumping skills, I was like, I want that. <laughs> That's what I want. I want to be successful. I want to work with the smartest people. Um, and I just kept trying to break in. I got rejected from over a hundred companies my senior year of college. And then I worked for GE who was a company that recruited at my school was utterly bored. Like there was nothing going on at GE. I was doing my job in under 10 hours a week and just like, I couldn't buy into all the like performance people were doing to like try and be good employees and move ahead. I was like, there's no way I'm spending my time. So I kept applying to consulting firms, got rejected from probably over a hundred firms again, but McKinsey, I was intrigued by my experience at GE and some of my background in manufacturing and gave me a shot uh, and ended up landing a firm, landing a job at like what's seen as the top consulting firm. So as soon as I step into that place, suddenly like the perception of who I was changed, which was right. wild because nothing had really changed. Um, but that really opened up a lot of doors in terms of like what the potentials were. And then suddenly I was in this new paradigm of like, you have all these options. How do you keep that going and keep going on this successful career person narrative? And then uh, you basically have taken all that and we'll obviously get into the book, but then you also have uh, created some courses. So uh, strategy you, um, and I looked into the deep diving and stuff. And so basically learn strategy consulting secrets. So you can talk strategy with the CEO and it's more, mostly a four week uh, course basically around that. I, I saw some of the frameworks, but I mean, what, what can we kind of learn from strategy consulting or what maybe a too long didn't read kind of, you know, quick overview of what exactly is strategy consulting? So connecting this with my story, there's probably a bigger uh, theme here, which is that there were things I loved doing. I really liked consulting. I liked the work of like making sense of information and trying to structure it and communicate it in compelling and persuasive ways to get people to take action. I loved that process. Um, I hated doing it 60 hours a week for grumpy people. Um, <laughs> But I like doing it and I would teach others this. I would teach friends and then I volunteered teaching an undergrad consulting group. And it was something I loved doing and did on the side of my career path for years. And then when I left my job, um, I had done some experiments creating a resume online course and basically just created this course to give it away to people and then just kept volunteering to teach people these skills. And then that course slowly over the past five years has been something that has taken over 
as it's done better and better. Um, but it's essentially teaching the fundamental skills I learned in consulting, which is how do you make sense of information? How do you structure it? How do you create clear and compelling communication? Um, and then I've been experimenting with a lot of different ways of doing that virtual workshops, uh, online course, um, asynchronous learning and different things like that. Um, but yeah, the, the key thing there is I love teaching and helping people the entire way through. And as I progressed in my career, that was less valued. Most companies don't give a shit if you like help and coach and teach other people, they might say it in performance reviews, but most of the kind of jobs I was in, you got to bring in clients and you got to execute. <laughs> and like, if you help other people along the way, great. But like, that's not, we're not going to reward or create a position for you around that. And that, that took me a long time to realize. Yeah. I, I can imagine that that was not, I don't want to go so far as soul sucking, but I guess it had some impact for sure on just your, you know, uh, mood, your drive, et cetera. And then that kind of leads us um, into kind of where you are, are, are now. I mean, I also saw on Twitter, I think now check me if I'm wrong, but uh, your courses are now like one of your biggest, you know, uh, money makers and like how you kind of persist and, and do things. So like, how, how have you seen it kind of change over the years? And maybe what's your biggest key learning from kind of, like you said, doing this kind of throw something at the wall and see what sticks to then now you kind of have this multimodal approach of all the good things that you had to then create a course, workshops, et cetera. Yeah. So I love creating stuff. <laughs> I like writing. <laughs> I like creating content. I like creating online courses. I like helping teach people stuff. So I've just consistently done that. My first thing I created an online course was in 2015. Um, and then I created another cohort based course, teaching people how to like make shifts and become freelancers and solopreneurs. That was 2018, 2019. I created the strategy course. Um, so 2015, 16, 17, 18, um, I probably made less than a hundred dollars from yeah, this stuff. Okay. Mm -hmm, yeah. <laughs> so I, I just kept doing it because I thought it was fun and worth doing. Um, and then the consulting course that first year in 2019, I probably made like $15,000. So I was still doing a little freelancing, but also living abroad and my cost of living was low. Um, and I just kept tweaking it. And then 2020, it started taking off mostly because a lot of people were looking for online learning. And that's when I started investing more energy into it. Probably made like 40 grand from it. Um, I think this past year I generated like after costs, probably like 55. Um, so now it's like, a base income um, that's able to support things. It still takes work and um, think like constant tweaking and I work with the students one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, but yeah, it's become a really cool platform to, um, to just keep exploring, have free time to work in the creative projects and also use that as a way to keep experimenting and finding things I like doing. Yeah, that's great. Uh, I'm, I mean, I'm very happy for the success and the iterations and the evolutions. Um, I first came across you, I, I want to say, when we started following each other, maybe uh, two or three years ago when I did my first podcast with Tiago Forte. Um, and, you know, and I think you had just been moving or, or in the process or something to moving to Taipei, um, ta yeah. Taiwan. So um, maybe let's talk a little bit about that, that kind of wanderlust uh, moving across or even just the, the practical things of cost of living. So maybe kind of bring us into to that kind of moving around and traveling, et cetera. 
Yeah, so left my consulting job in 2017. My plan was I'll just become a freelance consultor, consultant and have a little more time in my life. Uh, it was kind of a naive conception. I didn't really plan it out. I didn't have clients when I left. Uh, it was a bit of a jolt of reality is when I quit. Um, it was pretty scary and hard. I didn't know how to like actually land freelance clients. I had a hunch I could do it, but I didn't really know if I could. Um, so I did like hardcore freelancing for like six months, but in that block, like I did end up landing a couple clients, like three, four months in made some money. Like, okay, okay. I can make this work. I got my bearings. But in that, I had a lot more flexibility and freedom over my time. And it was just like so overwhelming. It was like, this is amazing. I can be anywhere. I'm working remotely for this client. It doesn't even matter where I am. My entire life, I had thought like, oh, you have to get a job and that's where you live. Totally. Um, totally. So that whole year was, okay, how can I lean into this freedom? Um, I did a trip to Asia for a month and ended up landing a consulting project before I did that. So I was doing it. Um, from it, I was in a $20 a night surfer host hostel in, on the, um, edge of a cliff in Bali. And I was like, this is freaking amazing. <laughs> um, what have I been doing in these cubicles for the last, uh, 10 years? So I just wanted to like follow that and see like, yeah. okay, I don't know if this can work, but I'm just going to move to Asia and see what happens. So I decided to move wow. to Taipei to start. I was going to travel around. I ended up meeting my now wife in, uh, that first month of, uh, moving there and that the first month kinda... you met Angie. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. That's yeah. Great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, it became a very, um, it went from like a solo journey to a uh, dual journey at that point. Nice. And then so uh, not just, I mean, being able to travel around and kind of pick up, but like now I, I'm pretty, you're in Austin, Texas. And then, uh, you know, how, how have you been keeping it weird as they say in Austin? <laughs> That's like their, you know, mantra or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I think I was attracted to here. There's a lot of like people who screw around and connect with people on the internet and are building totally. digital businesses, moving here and, or have lived here already. Uh, so it's cool to be around some of those people. Uh, those people have different um, ways of living life, like typically more flexible, available during the week, like don't really care when you're meeting up um, as opposed to like New York or Boston where I've lived before. Those places are very centered around like full-time jobs and like people are very busy. Um, whereas like I, I think here my bet was, okay, there's more people working flexibly, creative industries see value in connecting with people um as part of their life too and like just wanting to see if we like that and potentially uh stay here longer if we like it and then so i think i think you said about a year you're gonna give it a try if if correct me if i'm wrong or but that's the plan so we have four more months of a sublet um we don't have a plan after that um <laughs> we've just been figuring out as we go for the last three and a half years so we'll probably just keep doing that um, yeah, I, I don't need much certainty in terms of where I'm living or what I'm doing. Um, and I've kind of realized that through my journey and also gained an appreciation for the uncertainty. So I'm very happy in like not knowing where I'll end up. Um, I think other people need that a lot more than me. I'm not like that. That's interesting. Uh, I'd love to hear it. So maybe, um, we, we don't have to 
talk too much, but like you, you mentioned it went from a solo kind of journey to a dual journey. Like, I know that there's trials and tribulations of relationships and getting to know people and, and intimately, especially, but like, what are, what are some of the things like you've learned on that journey? Because I know it's probably, you know, not chalk it up to, to this is easy or it's just self-explanatory or et cetera. Like what exactly have you learned from, from that? Yeah, it's, it's definitely harder, right? Because you're balancing two people's desires and interests and career ambitions and, um, family connections. We were from two different countries across the world. We're from two different cultures. We're from two totally. different, um, ways of thinking about a lot of things. Uh, to me, it's fun. Uh, you get to like <laughs> see the differences, see more different and see different ways of looking at things. I sure. think, um, it's obviously like a harder degree of difficulty. Um, but I think both me and her are both somebody that don't really want the default copy paste script of our lives anyway. Um, so it's very natural to, um, be with somebody looking at things that way too. That's great. Yeah. Congrats on that. That's, that's awesome. Um, and so I, one, one kind of through line as well, not just with Tiago Forte and Twitter and stuff, but you stayed at uh, creator cabins and hung out with Jonathan Hillis. And we, we filmed the construction process of the whole Fort shelter in California before it headed out to Texas. So, uh, how, how did you like it? What, what did you learn there? <laughs> It's great. And I mean, this is the fun part of like the worlds I'm playing in now is seeing all these interconnected parts. Right. Um, I think like, I almost see like Tiago is like a classmate, um, like screwing yeah. around in like 2018, like, like we were both experimenting with courses. He was like a little ahead of me figuring out stuff. I think he's definitely like more ambitious with it now. Um, but just, <laughs> that, yeah, seeing... you can say that. <laughs> Seeing someone like him um, figure, like just trying and figuring out stuff and succeeding and um, unlocking different parts of himself, it's really cool to see. And it's, it's inspiring. It's, um, it's, uh, it's also comforting to see other people taking these weird journeys as well and figuring it out as they go. Yeah, no, that's, that's very true. And then I would, I guess we can segue into kind of the power of Twitter or networking, uh, your banner image says, you know, here for friends. So like, how is your, you know, kind of Twitter game, if you will, it, it, you know, evolved? Cause it used to be, uh, Twitter's a dumpster fire. And then now it seems like if, if you, you know, cultivate your feet a little bit, you know, do some things that are kind of, uh, forward thinking that it can be a, a quite a nice ecosystem of, not just change or, or friends and networking, but like real impacts for your lives, for others, et cetera. Oh, without a doubt, I'd say it's almost categorically positive and it has made my life better. Um, I've met so nice. many interesting people. Uh, it seems to be a meeting place right now for people who are hyper curious in like 12 directions and just <laughs> and that's a great want way to <laughs> yeah just want to explore ideas and be like oh yeah you're here too you're here too it's so great because i mean when i quit my job in 2017 i didn't have that i felt very lost i felt very scared and like i did meet a couple people um but it wasn't until i started even like 2018 meeting and engaging with people on twitter it's like oh my god there's thousands of us all around the world um totally. And we grew up on the internet. Like we all have similar paths. Like, I don't know if you were like me, like 
growing up screwing around on like AOL, GeoCities, building websites, sure. um, like sim simulation leagues for basketball and wrestling and like Beanie Babies, trading cards. <laughs> sure. <laughs> all, sure. All this yeah. stuff. It's like there's so many overlaps and like we all were there and like for some reason Twitter has been the place where everyone can like find each other so easily. And what, so what do you think the uh, biggest kind of, um, I don't want to say learning cause I've said that a, a couple of times already, but like, I mean, what do you get the most out of Twitter now? I mean, cause I know, I know that's changed maybe, but it, you, you said it's categorically a good thing for you. Like, is there a future for Twitter or are you looking past it to, to learn or like, you know, kind of tell me a little bit more. I think I've been lucky in that Twitter doesn't really lend itself to the things that have kind of paid my bills, both like freelance consulting and mm. my strategy consulting course. Like all of that traffic comes in through like SEO and my personal network and like LinkedIn. Um, but Twitter is like pure just friends and like I really am just there to make friends. I love it. I love connecting with people. I love making friends. I love can, like helping people, bringing people together um and all these uh different things and yeah it's it's like if i share my half-baked thoughts too i get feedback and like that helps me like write stuff and create stuff and keep going and i don't know it's pretty awesome i don't i don't know if there's a lesson other than um share um share what you think is cool um except like politics i don't think that works really well on twitter that's just like a race to the bottom but if you have weird curiosities, like you can show up and people are going to be like, that's cool. That's awesome. That's a very good point. Yeah. We, we've kind of experienced a little bit of that as well. And, and it, it takes everything to try to not dive into the culture wars and either side isms and all that kind of stuff that's going on. But um, I kind of want to put you on the spot too. Like say I, you don't, you don't have to do more than three or you can just do one, but who's your favorite follow? I would say, is it kind of Vinkatesh Rao, like VGR, because he's been in the books from the beginning, but like who, who's maybe someone that we don't know about or that is not getting enough kind of thought or process? I don't know. It's like, I love uh, Visa's account. And okay. Like, Visa's, not, not, yeah, for sure. I think that's a, a good starting point of like, just go there and like see the people hanging around in his mentions, like just kind, ambitious, curious people. Um, yeah, but it's often just like smaller accounts, people who engage and just like want to have conversations. Um, like I love VGR's thoughts on like work and the economy and all those mm -hmm. things, but like he, he doesn't even do that as much anymore. Um, True. yeah. And like the biggest accounts that get the most attention, I don't know. They don't have as much value for me. I really like the people that are just like earnestly sharing, um, stuff. So more like building, writing in public, maybe some of the yeah. shit 30 for 30 kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, cool. maybe. I, I don't know. I never read those visual essays. <laughs> I <laughs> wish okay, people would just then. write. I just, I wish people would write blog posts and I would read more of them. But right, right. Um, <laughs> I think in the scenes um, stuff too, I think, I don't know. I'm trying to think of some people. I'll, I'll think and add you, them you can you later. can sit it back before we push publish the episode, and I'll I'll put it in the description, and we'll go about it that way. So it's all good. But yeah, shout out to Visa, who also just um, hopefully get him on soon because he just finished his book, and then now I think that's a good segue into get into your book. So 
Um, but before we do that, let's kind of uh, tone around or go around about uh, you, you wrote a post or a status about the journey from blog to book that I thought was super interesting. And then also kind of goes into that kind of thing of sharing and maybe not building and writing in public, but at least you're being honest about the process. This was not something that you just kind of thought one day, like, I'm going to write this book. It was a culmination of 10 years of kind of writing and stuff until finally the straw broke the camel's back and now you're writing. Yeah, something. Yeah. So maybe take us on that. Yeah, it was a very emergent process. I was, I'd say one personality wise, I'm not the kind of person that's like, I want to be a VP or I want to be an author. Mm. I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to be a startup a VC backed founder. I, I've never really cared about the labels. Um, I did get caught up in it in my career. And I think when I left, I leaned aggressively back towards probably even beyond my default setting, which is like, I don't want a job. I don't want a label. I don't want to <laughs> like, I just, I call that a hustle trap. Actually, it's like um, saying it's like aiming at an identity rather than starting with what you want to do. Um, so you're basically creating a lot of tension and disconnect because you're not starting with like, what are you wired to do? What do you keep doing? How do you observe that? And like make small, but incremental, um, leaps. Um, so yeah, I, I'd always written, it makes sense now looking back, I kind of see all these threads connected. Um, but it just kept showing up in my life. And especially when I left my job, I had like way more mental space and it just, mm kind of unleashed and I loved it. It's, um, and like I'd get better and I'd make a deeper commitment. So I'd say, okay, I'm going to do a newsletter every week. Um, people started reaching out and connecting and that led to like this flywheel of conversations and writing and ideas. And like, I really leaned into that for like two to three years. It was so fun. And then it got to the point where I was had all these disconnected ideas and people would say, where do I start? How do I make sense of all this? Why don't you just write a book, please? <laughs> um, so it was kind of like a capstone to, I'd say five years mm -hmm. of curiosity research and writing to say, okay, let, how do I make sense of this for myself? Um, yeah. and I like writing, so why don't I do this as a way to continue to get better as a writer? Um, so it was to both of those projects. So it was very natural. Um, and even throughout the process, I didn't start with like, I want to write a book, like big B book, like publisher. Um, you have to do it in a certain way. You have to, I was like, I'm just going to make all the decisions myself and do it my way, um, which has been uh, super fun. That's awesome. And then so maybe t tease us a little bit about um, your writing process and how it's kind of evolved. Because I mean, t knowing Tiago, uh, right before he launched is, you know, finished his manuscript, he had to, you know, do the... Uh, uh, what's that? My Angelou, you know, lock yourself up in a, in a hotel for two weeks and finish, you know, like what do you just naturally get up in the morning and just kind of want to get some deep work in? Do you kind of settle on the weekends? Like what is kind of your writing process and how has that evolved, you know, over the years? Yeah. So this is my priority for 2021. And I just went into it with the mindset of if I create the space, it'll happen. Mm. Um, I think I needed help along the way. I needed help in terms of like some writing coaching. Sasha Chapin early on, I had a couple conversations with him and like mm -hmm. he he gave me like the perfect medicine I needed like at the right time. <laughs> That's um, great to hear. Yeah, magical, magical abilities. 
so he helped me like shift my mindset a bit. Um, and I, I love writing. So like, I'll do it anyway. I think, um, towards the end of the process, I needed to create like deadlines for me. Okay. I'm going to ship a final draft to this editor I'm working with. Um, and then really just kept driving. I'd say, um, the final week I did editing out at creator cabins. And that was like, I probably spent 40 to 50 hours in a week, just editing and rereading and editing and rereading. Um, but a lot of times during the process, I'd kind of get stuck. Um, and I didn't like, I'm not this kind of person. that's like, I need to discipline and write every day, two hours. Um, I just would say, all right, I'm going to stop writing until the words appear again. So mm. I would take breaks. I would wander, I would go for bike rides, but I wouldn't hold myself to like, I have to get started again. And inevitably the ideas start coming back and then you gain energy again and then you dive in. So it was a lot of back and forth of that. Um, I'd say I'm still not super disciplined in my writing other than like leaving space in my life and then trying to write every week for the newsletter. Yeah. So sounds interesting that you had to, you know, get some of the, when, uh, maybe not the inspiration dipped, but then you could go, you know, give it a supercharge by just like you said, walking or getting out and about and stuff like that. That's, that's very cool. Um, so maybe let's go into a little bit about yourself. You, you also self-published this. I thought it was super great. I mean, you went further, mm -hmm. like we had our first ebook, uh, of the essays that we had, you know, come out two years ago and did the Gumroad thing as well. But like, what exactly would you say was your biggest kind of thing that you did or learned from that, from that, that process of self-publishing? Was it like accountability? Like you just kind of mentioned communication, marketing, what, what was kind of that process like? So I think there's like ebook, which is a collection of essays. And then there's like book and yep. there's actually like, there's no like, uh, marginal. You can't like, it's actually like a big leap. You yeah, either need sure. to like go all into like book mode or like keep it at the collection of essays. And I originally started out saying, I'm just going to like throw my essays together, edit it a little, polish it and publish it. I thought I'd do it in three months. I think early on after talking to Sasha and realizing I wanted to explore this more personal side, um, that there was more, um, that there is a potential to write something more substantial. Uh, so I just went for it. And I think the ways I did that were like, okay, I'm going to hire an editor. I'm going to spend some money on this. I'm going to do like a book cover design. Um, yep. And just mentally, I'm going to commit to something, to write something I would want to read. Mm, right. That's a good way to put it. Yep. Yep. Um, so I didn't have a word target, but. Um, I kind of realized early on that I probably could write something around like 150 to 200 pages. I think it came in at like 190 in the size book I did. And then like, it's kind of weird though, because like I, the book constraint helps, right? So you're like, oh, I want chapters. I want structure. I want flow. Um, and then a book, uh, image for the cover, mm -hmm. but like really you still just have like a word document at the end <laughs> right right yeah and yeah, then yeah. you just throw it all together on amazon and then like boom like boom you got up. one look at it it's like <laughs> it's weird like this was just a file so i was telling my wife yesterday i was like it's kind of weird because i've just like been writing consistently for 10 years but like now there's like this external marker of like oh you did this mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um but to me like i just like the next week I just started like writing new stuff and like, yeah, I'm still just writing. 
<laughs> well, I mean, yeah, let's go into like, I, I wrote your, uh, also your, your sub stack about, you know, you finished the book, 10 reflections on the process. And that's kind of what started this question. And number six, the joy for me was in the creation. So you still have mm. that drive to create even after the book is kind of published. But then also I thought that this was a great in the publishing process. Number nine, I was 90% done for about four months. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, okay, I see you. I see you. Yeah, I think, I mean, my background in consulting is great for doing creative projects. I can, I'm really comfortable in that like dip of like not knowing what the end looks like, but just knowing to trust the process and keep going. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you experience this in like video oh. and video editing, right? But do that enough times and you have a sense of knowing where you are in the process. Um, I've never done a book before. <laughs> <laughs> so I kept thinking like, oh, I'm like 90% done. I just need to like edit and polish it. And then you go in and you're like, oh boy, uh, this needs a lot more work. Or yeah, like, right, right. Um, it was just hard because it was really like five or six projects in one in the sense that like I'd go into one section and then you basically spend a week like redoing the whole section. And then you step back and one of the challenges I faced, I would get better at writing and then go back to the beginning and my earlier writing sucked. So uh, then I need so to like, <laughs> then I need to like flow through the upgraded skills through the whole book. Um, and then, so you only make it through a certain part of the book. And then it wasn't even until the end that I read through the whole thing. And when I read through the whole thing, it's like, this doesn't make sense. This doesn't connect to this, this, the, like all these ideas. So yeah, I read through my book probably five or five to seven times in the last month. And I made a lot of tweaks and moving things around and just wow. like minor things like places and references and sequences, things like that. Wow. So a, a full project in itself after you've already done the hard stuff of writing it all down. <laughs> like, yeah, I think like July, I thought it was like 80 to 90 percent done. I was really probably 50 percent done. Um, I just oh, had wow. an enormous amount of editing and rewriting to do. Um, but yeah, it, it was a fun project. I, I kind of knew just from working on complex projects before that I could pull it off too. So I wasn't super worried about um, doing it. Okay, so let's let's get into the meat of this. Let's actually start talking about the book that we keep kind of circling around. So um, it's called The Pathless Path, Imagining a New Story uh, for Work and Life. And so, quote, The Pathless Path is about finding yourself in the wrong life and the real work of figuring out how to live. And so uh, I know you're going to talk a little bit about, you know, um, how you see yourself and, and things like that. But I love how you started off the book with a quote from Ram Dass. This is the pathless path where the journey leads is to the deepest truth in you. So it really has to come like from you inside of what you want out of this kind of unique life that we have, you know, uh, YOLO, you know, you only live once. So um, I, I really kind of, before we get into that, kind of just talk about like how, how much was it, not maybe a monkey off your back, but how good did it feel when you did actually press publish, you know, and, and you're, you're done for the, for the project, of course, marketing, of course, Twitter and, you know, whatever, but like, how, what did that make yourself feel? Because like you said, you started off not that curious, but then you gained curiosity. You, you have been on this one way ticket of a, a you know, train yeah. ride. And then, so you, you press publish and now you're done. Yeah, I mean, one of the themes I explore in my book is like designing for liking work. Um, and really what we're talking about is like designing for liking your life. 
Um, mm. And that was a radically different shift than what I was doing before, which was like designing for the next achievement. Um, Good way to put it. So hitting publish didn't really feel like anything. <laughs> I mean, it's literally like um, you get an email. I got an email in my sleep from Amazon. I didn't know it was going to publish either. Um, I wanted to pre-sell it and then like type it up for two weeks. Cause that's what you're like supposed oh, to do. Right, but I got an, right. I got an email like when I woke up on Friday, it's like, your book has been published. It can now be ordered. <laughs> I'm like, Oh shit, we're alive. <laughs> Was that just um, like a preset thing? Like a box you needed to tick and just kind of no, 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 there's, no like, pre <laughs> there's no pre-sell option for like self publishers. I think, oh, I think like publishers can do it, but mm -hmm. you can pre-sell Kindle, but not the printed copies. So I could have unpublished it and just done it again in two weeks, but I was like, it's live. Let's go, baby. Let's go. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the, the cool moment was when people started texting me pictures, like friends mm. I didn't talk to and just be like, Oh my God, this is so cool. This is like the, like people connecting with what I'm saying. Cause like, that's, that's what makes it all worth it. It's like, I don't know, just if like, somebody's finding resonance in it it's so cool and i've found that in so many books in my journey where i'm like oh my god i'm so grateful people have written these books um one of the biggest shifts for me was reading amy mcmillan's book reclaiming control she wrote mm. it about quitting her job at 23 or 24 and traveling for a year and trying to make sense of her achievement path and her upbringing um very different story than mine, but it felt so real and connected to what I was experiencing. And I was just so happy that her book existed. It felt like a deep, meaningful conversation with a friend. And I was like, that's kind of the tone and energy I was going for in my book too. Um, I knew that Amy's existed, like, why not do my own? Like, I kind of knew like, okay, I kind of got to do this. I'm always telling people to create and share. So if I feel do it. Yeah, no, that that's great. And then two two things that you kind of mentioned. Uh, so your book is brought in two parts. So first part, the default path, a lot of the stuff about your consulting uh, career and every writing before that, and then secondly, uh, the pathless path. So let's let's take a part one. Um, you just kind of mentioned a book that you you felt interested in or intrigued by, and you had a section find the others. And then also you had another thing of like wonder tips the scale. And so I thought those were two, two very interesting things that I think we've touched on. But one of the other sections that really I kind of hones into what exactly um, you can ask yourself if you think you're on this default path is all the fears and the five areas mm -hmm. that you kind of have uh, uh, laid out. So success, what if I'm not, uh, if I'm not good enough? Money, what happens if I go broke? Health. What if I get sick belonging? Will I still be loved and happiness? What if I'm not happy? So maybe talk about kind of that kind of, you know, understanding or questioning if you're on this default path and then also maybe mitigating or going against some of those fears that initially will come up uh, of like, no, like I, I, I don't need to change everything or et cetera from success, money, health, belonging, happiness. The default path, you can hide your fears. Uh, literally mm. no one ever asks if you're succeeding and you're like showing progress or making good money in your career, literally no one will ask you, why are you doing this? So you can kind <laughs> of ignore those questions <laughs> and everyone around you is kind of doing the same thing. So like, there's this huge bubble of just like you, nobody's really analyzing anything they're doing. 
Right. Um, and that was me. Um, I hid uh, from my insecurities, right? So, and we develop all these like explanations of why we're doing things. Like you can't just quit your job, you need money, right? Um, but what does that actually mean? I, I think becoming self-employed and going a few months without a paycheck forced me to basically be like, okay, now you don't have money coming in. How do you feel? Right. <laughs> feels, feels terrible, but um, <laughs> you can do things with it. You can become more comfortable with that feeling. Um, mm. You can also take action. And then, yeah, Tim Ferriss's exercise is really powerful, I think, because it turns those worries into like concrete um, things you can do, or um, it just names them in a way that you realize, oh, wait, the fear of not being good enough may never go away. Mm. That's just part of life or the fear of death or the right. fear of a health crisis, right? Like the health stuff doesn't scare me at all because like I already have health issues. <laughs> Right, right. You've already been through it. <laughs> yeah. Those are those are like priced in too. And like those are more of an impetus to like actually live more boldly because I don't know. I don't see the point in like having a stable full-time job for health benefits if like I'm destroying my health in the process anyway. Right, right. You're already there. You're already halfway there. Oh, man. That's yeah. Funny. So I think the biggest thing is becoming self-employed and doing all these experiments made the trade-offs in my life more clear. Right. So what am I actually trading for money? People think they're trading their job uh, for money to take care of their family. Right. But what they're also trading is their life energy. Totally. Right. And when totally. you're self-employed, like you have all these options. Do you want to do this project or not? Um, and you actually have the option to make less money or turn down work. And you start to see, OK, I didn't take this project and take this work but now I'm feeling more alive and more energized to do all these things. And I'm showing up as a nicer person in my life. Hmm. This might actually be worth earning less money and like leaning into my discomfort and learning to grapple with my fears rather than just listening to my fear. Yeah, that's huge. That's huge. Um, so then going to like the, the part two and so the actual pathless pass, uh, embracing a different kind of journey, one focus on coming alive, as you just kind of mentioned, embracing in uncertainty. We've also kind of gone over that, experimenting as well, and being open to possibility. Um, one of the sections, uh, the life-changing magic of non-doing, I thought was really interesting. And you mentioned, you know, Rebecca Solnit, Lao Tzu, and John Steinbeck. Um, that, that right there in our today's modern world of, you know, get up and go and continue to go at a thousand miles an hour is directly kind of, counter to that, you know, non-doing, well, you might get more impetus and in, in things by not doing something than just continuing to do something. So, and then also you say, uh, you know, having fun along the way, reimagining money, uh, money and having a little faith. Um, this path doesn't make me rich with money, but does make me wildly rich in time connections and meaning. I think that's so well said and huge to even think about, because like we talked about it, money's not everything, but then also, uh, doing is not everything. You know, sometimes you need to not do something that's just as important as doing something. So maybe expand a little bit on that. I think a lot of us have this default switch that we always need to be doing something. And then what happens when you don't do stuff is you feel bad. So mm -hmm. you just yeah. take that to mean like, well, the smart and good thing to do is to keep doing stuff. But it's similar to the fear, right? There's actually something worth finding in that discomfort. Um, and people mistake 
non-doing with like being lazy or being useless. Mm. That's not what happens for 98% of humans, <laughs> right? Right. When you open up energy and you have the conditions to succeed, like people open up, they become more energized with life. They become actively engaged in things they want to be doing. Um, and it's really about making that, um, that switch visible, right? So it's like, there's always options to do something, but what if you just don't do anything? You pause and then see what emerges in that space. In that space might be another option that you're naturally drawn to do, right? right. Um, so it's like, I purposely said no to projects and didn't pursue freelance projects. But in that space, I kind of like was drawn to write more and mm -hmm. create, create that online course that eventually turned into something that paid my bills. None of it made any sense at the time. <laughs> like if I'm defaulting to like, you should make money, right? Right. But if I was building a life and trying to find things I want to keep doing, it was the only smart thing to be doing with my time. Right. So a, a lot of people acknowledge money is not the most important thing. But then if you observe their actions, it appears that they don't really believe that. Mm. Their actions mm. would indicate that money appears to be the most important thing in the world. Yeah. A actions express priorities, I think Gandhi said. Yeah. 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 Um, so then you got into another section, uh, redefining success. So talk a little bit more about, you know, redefining prestige as well and finding your tribe and, you know, being enough. I think that being enough uh, is a huge thing as well. I think a lot of people don't give themselves enough credit just for being, you know, human uh, homo sapiens in today's Anthropocene, like just being enough and being able to like um, see that you can be creative, see that you can also be interesting and stuff. And I think people kind of close themselves off from those kind of avenues as well. Um, so one of those things that kind of really drawn me out uh, right after that is remembering your creative and asking who do you serve, but also playing the long game and how like an abundant mindset is like much, you know, more beneficial, I guess, than a scarcity mindset and kind of this, this type of way of thinking. So uh, maybe, you know, kind of parse that out a little bit more of, of how you can kind of see yourself in the future and then work backwards by, by what you uh, dubbed in, inverting, if you will. Yeah. So a lot of people look at life as this series of things you need to go through and eventually you arrive at some future state in which everything is great and everything is figured out. Everything is better. Right. So there's a couple things there. One, one is uh, just trying to realize that that might actually be true, but you may not need to suffer to get there. Mm, good point. Right. Yeah. So a lot of people, um, if you're a driven, curious person, you're probably going to be okay over the long run financially. But you've set in your mind that like, I need to reach X number to feel that that's how right. you're more or less going to orient. Right. So there's probably tremendous value in asking a hard question of saying like, how could I actually embody that, um, okayness now, um, and practice it. So like, I think what I've realized is like practicing generosity and, practicing helping people and practicing teaching and practicing being generous with my time with people now and making friends 
is actually the way to do that. Right. right. And then you can kind of skip all the nonsense of like proving yourself and making money. Right, right, right. And it's, and you also kind of go into that of like creating your own culture, you know, and, and the first quote that kind of came to my mind is like, be the change you wish to see in the world, but not even just in the general world, but your own world, you know, like you, you've changed your own kind of thought process, life process, life journey to then kind of um, reciprocate back to you. But it's also been kind of a worthwhile journey by you're creating your own little niche, you know, your own little culture of networking, et cetera. Um, it, it's, it's quite interesting that, that also it almost, it almost seems that obviously you don't need want to do this alone. You know what I mean? Like you're not in a vacuum by yourself. Yeah. I think people, I love connecting with people and making friends and teaching people and helping people. So I want to like build that and grow into it. I kind of realized the default state and the default norms and path I was around in my early thirties were not going to get me there. What I was noticing was like people around me were getting fat. They were miserable at their jobs. They were moving Mm. to the suburbs and socializing with their friends less. Um, They were having kids and complaining about how expensive everything was. And like, I don't know that, that wasn't, that wasn't the culture I wanted to create. No, <laughs> but that's <laughs> like a very easy trap and path to fall into. Um, so I didn't know how to like create something different. And I basically was driven by the impulse of let's go find out. <laughs> let's read books. Let's do experiments. Let's try to figure this out. And it was very much like, I don't think I have any answers. I don't know how to do this, but there was a sense of like, I need to find out there's something worth finding. No, that's great. And plus it, it kind of gives, you know, life a direction and purpose, as you say, you know, it's not just something that you're just kind of willy nilly going around, but then also you have, you know, structure, a little bit of structure. It might not be measurable or understandable, like you said, but it does give you some type of purpose or will, you know, want to get out of bed in the morning more so than like you just listed off the hell that people are living in. It seems like. Yeah. And I mean, some people are thriving on the default path. It didn't work for me. Good point. Like the default. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like for me, I just like wasn't able to make it work in a way that I was excited about. Um, and it was making me cynical and it was making me uh, frustrated. <laughs> and I kind of realized it's up to me to figure it out. Um, nobody's going to create your life for you. Um, right. If you want to be part around amazing friends, you need to make it happen. Turns out like the internet, writing online, creating online, um, sharing ideas is like, if you're that kind of person, it's like superpower now. Um, totally. And I'm so lucky I found it. I don't know what I would have done if I was 10 years older. I think it would have been really hard for me. I, I think I definitely would have probably faced depression and struggles and challenges. But um, yeah, I mean, it's an amazing time to be alive today. There's more possibility for paths and po- ways of working and living than ever. And yeah, I'm, I'm going to lean into that. Yeah, that's so, so awesome. And then uh, also like reading your book it, it, and, and some of the comments of other people and their reactions to it, it, it doesn't seem like a business book. It doesn't seem like a self-help book, <laughs> but it does kind of seem like a, you know, uh, a charting a path book. You know, if you, if you want to kind of like at least question your own kind of default ways and kind of reflect on that and, you know, figure things out, you, you can do some things like you can pause and disconnect, go make a friend, go make something, give generously, experiment. And then if you commit to that and be patient, 
you can kind of figure things out and be more on a pathless path or your own path, if you will, rather than something that's default by culture, history, happenstance, et cetera. Yeah. So I think like my approach works incredibly well. Um, is it going to make you rich? I have no idea. I don't, I can't <laughs> promise that. Um, so, so like that's a big barrier for people. I think they want like steady and certain income increases. That seems so bizarre. If you look through the hi history of the world, um, but yeah, I think I kind of wrote it as like a choose your own adventure and be mm. inspired by my journey because I've been inspired by books like that, like Vagabonding and four, four Hour Work Week. I don't connect with everything they say, but it was like, totally. yes, these seven ideas are so powerful for me. Um, so I kind of wrote it like that. I wrote it for nerdy people too. I dropped all sorts of like references <laughs> and nuggets in there that like, right. I'm not going to fully tell you what it's about. And if you want to dive deeper, you can go explore on your own. Um, and yeah, I shared the personal journey because that's what I realized I had to do early on in the book writing process. Like I had to give it my full heart and honestly say why I think it matters, these things. And I think I put it out there. Like I'm, I feel like I dumped it on the page. So it's, no, it uh, feels, it cool. feels like it. I mean, honestly, and it's like so refreshing and honest and vulnerable, if you will, at least at some point open is, is definitely there. Um, but then it's also not, you're, you're not trying to be this like literary giant either, you know, like <laughs> waxing poetically about things. Like, I think you start the first sentence, it's like, you know, this is that or something, you know, it, it's just very, very readable and open. And, and I commend you on that because it could come across as, preachy or do this and you will gain a million dollars or whatever, you know, and it's, it's not definitely not that. Yeah. I'm not a fancy person. I'm not the most sophisticated writer. I didn't go to like the fancy schools growing up. So like I have a very simple right. vocabulary um, and I like to write and make things simple. Um, I think a lot of writing on like taking different paths is overly complicated or focused on like tools. It's like, no, nah, there's probably like, there's probably some pretty simple stuff you can do. It's like, ask yourself hard questions, answer them, experiment, figure things out, fumble along the way and see where you end up. Uh, right. I think, yeah. um, yeah, it's, it's cool to see it connecting with people. I think I was scared for years, um, to say that I think this matters mm. and in writing the book, I finally, like in the introduction, I think if anyone reads the introduction, they'll see that like why this matters to me and like why I think it's so important that people just question these paths. Um, I want people to thrive and I think it's more possible than ever. And I think that's important. Um, and I'm not as, as scared to admit that anymore. Good. Well, well said. Um, so I'll just sum up like as something that you said in the end of the book. Uh, so in sum, the goal of being on this path is, quote, being able to get to a state of being where I can spend almost all my time helping, supporting and inspiring others to do great things with their lives. So I guess the second to last question that I'll ask you is, so what are the, what's the future projects? What, what's Paul doing now? How are you going to you know move on from this and, uh, you know, keep it trucking, if you will? <laughs> I don't know. I'm very just letting the path emerge. I mean, I guess that wouldn't be surprising, but I've seen a lot of 
a lot of sense in just letting things flow naturally. Um, my connections and conversations and writing with other people is the like vehicle for all that. I call mm. it my creative engine, right? That as long as I have the energy to keep that going, cool things will keep happening. Um, can I guarantee it's going to end in like money and financial security? I have no idea, but like, I just want to keep doing cool stuff with cool people and finding ways to help people volunteering, have deep conversations like this. And yeah, accidentally I'll create a life around that. Um, and it's already happening. It's pretty cool. That's great to hear. Well, all the best of luck to you. And I will leave you with one, the one last question that I ask all my guests. Um, so the overview effect, if you're unfamiliar, it's basically when you see yeah. the earth from space, you know, and, and what that means and stuff. And so I have always, you know, wanted to hear kind of different, uh, thought processes and we just got into it for the last hour with you, but like what, you know, if you're at the ISS or the moon or something, and the world's looking up at you, or you have, you know, a message to say, like, what, what do you say? Like, is there something that you say, or maybe a, a challenge, uh, for people to do. I mean, your book says a lot of this stuff, obviously, but, uh, you know, if, if the mic's on you, you know, for, for a time, like what, what, what are you going to kind of think about and process and give, give back? It's funny. I've always said if I was going to buy any piece of art, it would just be a printed canvas of the earth. Um, like that to me seems like the only thing worth hanging on the wall. Cause it's like, it's all, it's all silly, right? So I think if I had to say something, it'd just be like, it'd probably be like two words come to mind. Be like laugh or love. Mm, good way. Good man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all a bit silly, but like, why not just try to put your heart into things? Yeah, well said. So we're going to laugh and uh, love out of this conversation. So um, yeah, well, thanks for coming on Conversations, Paul. Really appreciate it. Uh, and until next time, you know, at Astra, everyone. Eclectic Spacewalk presents Conversations, a podcast about the uniqueness of the human condition and how, through conversation, we can continue to upgrade humanity's value systems.